0: Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Julie Hirsch, I am so excited to have you on the She's the Boss podcast, or She's the Boss Chats, I should say. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to have a chat.
0: It's going to be brilliant. So I think the first thing that we should do is talk about what you're doing now, um, just so that people can kind of work out what it is that you do. And then I'm going to take you right back and you're going to tell us the journey, hopefully. But so tell us now, what is your business and and what do you do?
1: Of course. So my name is Julie Hirsch. I'm the co-founder and chief operating officer of Elements Natural Vitamin T. So we are the world's first 100% natural vitamin tea. We blend all of our fair trade teas with a mixture of fruit and herbal extracts that have naturally occurring vitamins. Um, It took my business partner, Nicole and I, two years in research and development to create the product. And because we spent so long putting so much passion and enthusiasm into the product, when we did actually launch Elements, we had a really immediate response. Um, we ended up getting into Woolworths after about six months of sales.
0: That's amazing. And then that is. six
1: months after that, we launched in the UK.
0: Wow. So for my first question for you, because if anybody wants your tea, it's E-L-O-M-E-N-T-S. Yes. It, what does the O stand for?
1: So the O stands for organic, uh, because we are I the first wonder. organic certified vitamin tea in the world.
0: But it's amazing. Okay, so... Let me take you right back now. Let's go through the journey and then we'll go into what what it why it is that you've created it. But tell me, because I'm guessing when you left school you didn't say when I grow up I want to have a tea company. So no. what happened?
1: <laughs> um Oh sorry, I'm just finding myself.
0: <laughs> no, that's all right. So talk to me about um What it was, when you left school, what was um, your main aim? What did you think you wanted to be? And how has this even happened?
1: When I left school, I actually ended up working in politics on the 2012 US elections.
0: Are you kidding me? That's amazing. How did that even happen?
1: So I had about three days notice um, from the grassroots campaigning organization that I was working for at the time that they needed someone to go down to Raleigh, North Carolina and open up a voter registration office. Now, in the U.S., unlike in Australia, you have to be registered to vote um, before you can vote. So actually access to voter registration is a huge piece of democracy in the U.S. Um, And quite often low socioeconomic neighborhoods or minority neighborhoods don't have the funding allocated to them that they should have to register all of the potential voters in those neighborhoods. So,
0: So they don't all, when they turn 18 or 21, get a letter saying... Uh, now you're, re- you're old enough to vote, here's the link, go and register yourself.
1: Wouldn't that be no. lovely? No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> right. You have to opt into the system. Um, right. So I went okay. down to North Carolina to open up that voter reg office when I was 22 years old. Um, wow. And ran that up until the voter registration deadline closed just a few days before the 2012 election.
0: So how long was that for? Was, uh, it was, was that a year? six months. Six months?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a real introduction to an entrepreneurial mindset, I think, in hindsight. Um, there was no roadmap of how to open an office, build a canvas team, and um, make sure that you were registering the number of voters to satisfy the grant that we had. I'm,
0: I'm amazed. So hang on. So you get given a grant, yes. and then you get given an office, and and just go and do whatever you want to do. Is that kind of how it works? Or
1: Election politics find in your the own US way. are... Um, are a little wild, <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. But it was it was such important work, and I was so committed to the reason why we were doing it. Um, it was incredibly difficult and incredibly long hours, um, but a really rewarding experience. And then when I moved to Australia, I continued in campaigning, and I joined a climate change organization called the so Australian. So, hang on. Climate First Coalition. question.
0: Why did you move to Australia? What was what was the jump from North Carolina to to Melbourne? Is it Melbourne or Sydney? You're in Melbourne. Melbourne I think.
1: I'm in Melbourne. Yes.
0: Yeah. So what what happened that? Well, how did that happen? Sorry, that was a really badly constructed question.
1: Well, I happened to meet an Australian at a bar when I was uh-huh. in university, um, and Tom and I are still together here in Australia, and he's originally Amazing. from Melbourne.
0: So you came to Australia for love. I love I that.
1: I did, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're 22, you've just finished, or 23, you've just finished doing your bar. Uh, no, sorry, you've just finished um, your voting thing in, in the US. You've jumped, you've come to Melbourne, and you, uh, and you, I assume you didn't know very many people other than Tom and his family.
1: No, I've never been here before, actually.
0: Wow, that's a, I'm, you're so brave. I love this. So um, what did you do?
1: So I uh, worked a few odd jobs while I was getting my visa sorted, and then I joined the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, which is a fabulous organization um, building a generation-wide movement to solve climate change. And I originally joined their team, and after a number of years, I ended up as the deputy director at the AYCC, and I currently volunteer as their board secretary. Um, Wow. Yeah. So so I stayed in the um, campaigning space. um, And during that time, actually, just after I moved to Melbourne, I met a woman named Nicole Lamond at an open writers group. And we really bonded over um, ethical business, healthy living, how we were both incredibly busy, professional women. And we remained friends for a number of years. And then when I was starting to look at leaving the nonprofit sector, Nicole was also thinking about this crazy idea that she had for a natural vitamin tea And she asked if so I wanted to. Where help did that idea reality. come from?
0: Do you know why she even came up with the idea?
1: So Nicole had been working in tea, Fair Trade Tea, for a number right. of years. Um so she's actually one of the founding board members of Fair Trade Australia and New Zealand. Amazing. And was incredibly passionate about fair trade. And for me at the time, I was seeing a lot in the climate change movement of how much climate change was affecting farmers. Right. And yet, as we always see with climate change, these farmers tended to have the least to do with the causes um, that are making the climate change. And Fairtrade was, is and was doing phenomenal work around helping farmers deal with the impacts of climate change, um, educating farmers and um, families about what's happening and why and what strategies they can use to um, still have economic stability and sustainability on their farms. So that was, that was the conversation Nicole and I were having at the same time as she was thinking, you know, we had we had talked so much about how hard it is as busy professional women to have your three balanced meals during the day. And while yep. supplements are there, they're often synthetic and they tend to have things like binders and fillers and they can be coated with food-grade plastics. And it's just not really what we chose to put in our bodies. Right. Um, and so we thought, well, why can't we blend natural vitamins with these fair trade teas? Not only are we then furthering fair trade and making sure that there's a fair trade ethical option on shelf, but also bringing innovation beyond the ethical lens. So that's So had anyone the ever journey. done this
0: before at this stage? Was this kind of, you, we've seen this idea overseas and we'll copy it, or was this you guys coming up with the idea of, well, you like a cup of tea in the morning anyway, why wouldn't you put some vitamins into it and stop taking capsules?
1: No, we'd never seen it before. Um, so in the time it took us to develop the product, which, as I said, was two years, um, I'm not sure if during that time or before um, some other companies had come out with a synthetic vitamin tea. But right. um, in Australia and in Europe, you're not actually allowed to use synthetic vitamins in tea. Um, and for us, it was never in alignment with yeah. what we wanted to create because we personally chose not to put synthetic things into our bodies. And tea is such a comforting moment in your day. It's a beautiful moment to pause. It's a moment where you can have impact if you've got an ethical tea that you're drinking. And it's also a category where people are looking for health benefits. Um, You know, we've seen that in a lot of different teas, there are happy teas and energy teas. And this seemed like a really natural next step to actually put um some Some great science behind what was being blended into the teas
0: yes, and ha- having now had your delicious teas i've had the um I had the black tea, I think, and I love as well that that what what seems to have happened with bespoke teas in things like tea too are those little triangle bags that are made of material. Mm-hmm. And I love it that you're not doing that. It, I don't know why. They just really annoy me and I don't feel like I get great tea out of them. Mm, so, so pyramid your tea bags tea are, fabulous. are
1: um, They're made for a larger cut of tea, whereas for us, we, um, we wanted to make sure that we were making a product that was affordable because we didn't want to be creating this brilliant new innovation and then pricing it out for most yeah. people. Um, So, yeah, we chose to do a double chamber teabag with plastic free teabag paper, which was very important to me, as you can imagine, coming out of the climate change movement.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So amazing. So you've decided that you the two of you get together and decide, okay. and are you were you still working at that stage or had you taken the leap?
1: No, so we were full-time working on Elements and working on Chi Teas, which is our other tea brand, um, also fair trade.
0: Right. So, so sorry, hang on though. Um, I'm going back to you, but you both had jobs. You both decided that you wanted to do the teas. So you then left and just set up a company straight away. Is that sort of how it worked?
1: Nicole already um, owned the distribution for Chi Teas.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Um, so she was running that company and I left my position to come help run that company as well as start up Elements.
0: Very brave of you. So, so what was the light bulb moment for Elements though that where you worked out how the hell you were going to do this? Because if no one else is doing it, and I know just from having had you on the TV show, that just putting um, vitamin essences or whatever into tea is not, a, is not possible. So how did, how did you come up with you know, how to do it.
1: We had immense manufacturing challenges that we were being faced with. And neither Nicole nor I are engineers. Yeah. So um, the thing that we had, which I think really led us to the end product is we simply stopped taking no for an answer.
0: Um, I was going to say, you must have had a whole lot of people going, look, I love the idea, you pretty young women, but sorry, you know, it can't be done. So go and find something else to do.
1: Well, two years in research and development sounds short, but it is an incredibly long time when you don't know if what you're trying to do is possible. There were a lot of moments where we could have said, I don't think this is possible. We're going to have to um, try a different way of doing it or compromise on the products that we want to make. But what we actually just started doing was when someone said, this isn't possible, we would say, okay, we understand it's not possible that way. What's our next step? What can we try next? And we worked with some really brilliant manufacturing partners. We went through a couple R&D companies who at the start (laughs) all said, yeah, this should be easy. And then three months down the track, (laughs) they call us and say, no, we can't do this. It's not possible.
0: God, that must have shaken you a little bit, did it? I mean, by the time a second R&D company has said to you, it's not possible, did you start thinking, well, maybe it's not?
1: I don't actually think there was ever a moment where we thought it wasn't possible. I love that. We just, I mean, as my business partner once said, we've gone to the moon as a human race. How could we not blend fruit and herbal extracts into a tea? Surely yeah. it's, it's doable.
0: I love her. I love her. And I love that because nothing is really impossible. There's always a way around it or a way of doing it. But there's not a lot of people that will keep pushing and pushing and pushing the boundaries going. You think, you know, I know you, you understand manufacturing fatigue, but what we're trying to do is not impossible. So stop saying it's impossible. Exactly. So to, after two years, what, what happened? What was the sort of moment that you went, OK, we can do this?
1: Well, we ended up with a patent pending manufacturing method, which for a two-woman <laughs> company is unlikely. Um, there was there was a moment where we did a bench top trial, um, right. so a small scale trial of what we wanted to do with the vitamins, and that worked. And the next step was doing it at an industrial scale. And there was no in-between. So it was ten kilos versus two hundred and fifty kilos.
0: Wow. And
1: That represented all of our seed investment, pretty much.
0: Um, Right, so you threw (laughs) it at it to say, we know we can make this work.
1: Well, if that manufacturing run hadn't been successful, we would have lost the entire investment that we had raised. But there was no way to test if we could create the product at scale without doing an industrial trial. Oh,
0: my God. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when you and Nicole looked at each other and went, should we take this enormous risk or not?
1: I don't even think we had a conversation about should we? <laughs> it was just, OK, that's what we have to do next. Let's do Amazing. it. Um, and it happened in the UK So we had asked our R&D consultant to call us as soon as the manufacturing trial finished. And we were both sitting up almost all night around 4 a.m. I think we texted each other and said, have you heard? I haven't heard. Did it go wrong? Have we lost everything? And we called the R&D consultant. He said, oh, no, it went great. I forgot to call you guys. (laughs) Oh, stop. (laughs) Stop.
0: Oh, wow, that is amazing. So champagne for breakfast that day? Oh, no, probably herbal teas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think we just slept in. I think that was our reward.
0: Wow. And so what did you do? So once you've worked out the manufacturing process, but you've used all your seed funding to do it, what do you do next?
1: So we did a small um, commercial run after that. And we, at that point, we knew we had hit something. Um, we did a trade show in the UK before we actually finished the industrial trial. <laughs> so we were pretty confident we could make the product. Yeah, I'd but say. But we also weren't, so we didn't know how people would react to it. So we decided to do this trade show and get some leads um, to see how people felt about the product. And I think we got 200 distribution contacts over a two-day trade show. Um, So we knew at that point that this was going to be something that um, could take off. So by the time we had finished our first commercial production run, we had actually already sold half of the run. So that helped us to fund the next run. Fund
0: going forward. That's brilliant. That is just so brilliant. I'm so excited to hear this story. So. Okay, so um, you've shown it at the show, you've now proven that it can work, and you've done your first run. What do you do then? What happens then?
1: Well, interestingly, at that point, we were already talking with Woolworths.
0: Wow. So how how did that even happen? How did you meet someone at Woolworths, or did you approach them?
1: So Nicole was known in the tea arena through Cheat Teas, and we had been speaking with the buyer even before we'd done the trial run about this idea that we had to, to get a sense of how he felt about it, what he thought about it. And he was so excited by the idea. Um, the buyer at the time was named Mark and we sat down with him the first time and he said, when is it available? And we said, we have no idea. And then we (laughs) sat down with him a second time and we said, here's where we are. And he said, when is it available? And we said, still don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and then we went in a third time and we sat down with him and we said, guess what? It's now available. We think we can supply Woolworths if you're interested. And um, he took a bet on us. And I think that's really, when I look back on our entrepreneurial journey, there have been so many times where our partners and the people we're working with have really just gone above and beyond because they believed in the product they believed in our team and they believed in the mission of our company. Yeah. And so Mark really, yeah, took a bet on us, put us in 650 Woolworth stores. Oh,
0: my goodness. So not like just a little trial of let's try 20 or nope. something, 650.
1: Yes. And um, so we we got that contract. Um, we sold our first box of tea in September. We secured that contract, I think, at the start of February the following year. Um, and it was... It was really such a special moment. Um, Nicole got the phone call from Mark saying, I have some good news for you. And bless her, she said, really? (laughs) (laughs) And that started a three-month sprint to raise enough capital to actually make the pipeline order to supply Woolworths.
0: Right. So talk to me about that. How, as a woman who is running a business in Australia, do you go about raising funds?
1: It was a really interesting scenario for us because we, we had a patent. We had yeah. a product that within six months had been uh, ranged in one of the largest supermarkets in Australia. And yet when we were doing meetings in Australia with potential funders, we were really struggling to find people who were values aligned with us. We were getting a lot of comments like, oh, it's so nice to see women in the office. Full stop. <laughs> Um, And a lot of comments about how we should be trying to pitch to female investors because we were female entrepreneurs. Interesting. (laughs) And it was just, there was nothing um, that was overtly, um, how do I put this?
0: (laughs) Just say it. (laughs) There's only going to be women listening to this, I'm sure, anyway. So tell us like it really was.
1: It was a very intimidating atmosphere. Um, Right. And it seemed that it was slightly unfriendly to us because of who we were. And at the same time, our, our vitamin supplier is a family company in California, and they have an incredibly innovative product. They're one of the only organic certified vitamins in the world. And they heard that we had secured Woolworths and actually someone from the family emailed us and said, hey, we've got a crazy idea. Would you like us to invest in your company?
0: Oh <laughs> my
1: goodness, how perfect. And just the immediate relief and the feeling that, yes, this is the team we want around us. These are the people yeah. we want on this journey with us. It felt so right so quickly and it really showed us how wrong some of the other conversations we were having felt. Yeah. So we went to LA Sat down with them, and they ended up filling the investment
0: round. Um, and how much were you trying to raise at that stage?
1: So we were raising uh, for the Series A, one point two million. Right. And yeah, it's been an incredible, incredible. So journey now you have this
0: them. great company that's got your back. That's part. I mean, what a great result to have have them invest in you. That's just perfect.
1: Absolutely, and they're so values aligned with us as well. I'll never forget in our second pitch meeting with them, we have a 1% um, profit contribution margin on top of the 2% of turnover that we give back to fair trade. Right. And um, one of the folks from the company pointed at that and said, can you explain this to me? And I immediately got defensive thinking that they didn't <laughs> like it. And he stopped me and he said, no, no, I think this is great. I want to know more about what you're going to do with this. And it's, It's a real example of, it's not just about getting the money, it's about getting the right money.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which actually is really good advice for anyone who's listening, because there are so many times that you hear about, well, I am more and more, maybe I'm just on high alert for it, where you hear about people who invest in a business with no interest really in the business, just in the turnover, Mm -hmm. and then kick out the founders. Mm. And that's something that people don't think about when they think about raising a million bucks, that there is, if you give too much of your company away to somebody who isn't aligned with you, they may well just destroy it.
1: Yes. And I think, you know, there's the risk involved in raising capital, but there's also the reward if you raise the correct capital, because you can bring skills into your business that you don't have. You can bring expertise into your business that you don't have. And you can bring incredible cheerleaders who are going to be just as excited with your journey as you are. And I think that's the best part of where we've landed with our investment round.
0: So but and the other, of course, beautiful thing, which is, of course, maybe me just thinking strategically, is that you've done your testing, and you've got people in the UK, and you've already found 200 suppliers, you know, 200 distributors. And now your um, investor is from the US, so ha- obviously has a very big incentive to help you grow over there and you've been able to test in Australia which is I think for the rest of the world the testing market anyway because we're isolated we've got a we've got a small ecosystem but it does mirror the much bigger ones around the world Absolutely. so how perfect for you to grow
1: yeah it's been a really interesting um, experience trying to create a global company with um, a very small staff based in Australia um, we work across a lot of time zones.
0: I bet you do. So how many of you are there now? Four. Okay. So it is yes. still, that's still amazing though, to think what you do with four people.
1: We're very so, efficient.
0: Um, well, I'm kind of, I'm so blown away by what you're doing. So, so talk to me about, so once you've raised the investment, so where is the business now? Where, where are you in, where else as well as Woolies are you?
1: We've now secured ranging in two thousand stores around the world, which is very exciting. Incredible! And and when did when did it actually launch? Um. So we sold our first box of tea September twenty eighteen. So we're not quite at less than two
0: years, and you're in two thousand outlets. Yes. Amazing! You are such an inspiration. So um, can you tell me about some of the pivotal moments along the way, some of the successes or challenges that you might have had? And I, and, and as I say that, one of the things that I, and I don't know why I say this in every episode, but I go, why do I ask you about the successes? Because you don't often learn a lot from a success other than, woohoo, we did it. Um, but often there are challenges that can, or, and I've heard some of them along the way, but are there any others that you would like to share with us?
1: I think one of the challenges that we had was very much around our supply chain. Um, I am not trained in supply chain management, so I learned a lot.
0: <laughs> and I wouldn't expect you to be. Tell, explain what it is first. Supply chain management
1: is essentially um, managing your product from farm to cup. For us.
0: Oh, okay. So that's-,
1: that's everything from sourcing the raw materials, managing your manufacturing partners, dealing with demand planning, um, dealing with export and import since we're selling around the world. Yeah. And also the logistics to get the stock to the different stores that you're supplying.
0: Right. Okay. So I'm not, yes, I'm not surprised you're not an expert at that. So what <laughs> happened? What's, what's happened to <laughs> educate you? <laughs> well, I think the great thing about
1: actually not coming in with a lot of experience in it has allowed us to really look at supply chain management and how it's generally done and question that. Um, right. Right. That questioning is also very relevant around COVID-19 because I think a lot of companies are looking at the way supply chain management has been done in the past and really thinking that it's not a sustainable way to continue in our new normal when we get out of this thing. So at the moment, supply chain management tends to be about finding the least expensive products that meet your standards and bringing them to a place where you manufacture them and shipping them out. Yep. That's great for for your gross margin, but it's incredibly carbon intensive. It means that you've got a lot of different moving pieces and a lot of different suppliers. And when you have ports closing around the world and Eek. supply chain issues, um, people not being able to be on the tea gardens to pluck tea, for example, it right. really highlights the risks of the way that most companies do supply chain. But for me, it also highlighted how there's so much opportunity to deeply partner with your supply partners. For us, we have five fair trade collectives that we purchase from.
0: For the, they, This is for the tea or for the tea and the vitamins?
1: For the tea and the spices.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And they're really strong partnerships. What it allows us to do is it allows us to work with the fair trade cooperatives that we purchase from and say, here are the products that are coming down the line. And so they can actually work with the farms to make sure that there's enough tea coming through, that the spices that we're going to be purchasing are being planted, which can encourage biodiversity on the tea gardens. It definitely reduces our carbon footprint because we're not shipping things all over the world. And it also means that we can partner with fair trade manufacturers in the same region. So rather than being an extractive company where we take raw materials out of a developing nation and value add in a developed nation, we're trying to keep as much of that profit in that supply chain within the country.
0: Right. So so does that mean, and I'm probably asking a dumb question, but does that mean that your manufacturing is happening at the same place? So where are they being grown in India? Is it in Ceylon or or Sri Lanka, the tea?
1: So for Elements, um, a lot of it is grown in Sri Lanka and we manufacture in Sri Lanka. So most of the tea and spices are grown in candy and then they're manufactured down the road in Colombo.
0: Um, and so what did you have to set up the factory because you did the tests in the UK with the manufacturing, which was a whole new way of doing it. Have you taught the people in um, Sri Lanka now or, you know, how, how to use that machinery and how to set it up like that?
1: We originally started manufacturing in the UK because yep. we couldn't find the right partner in Sri Lanka at the time and we needed to get the product up and running. Yep. And then um, last year we had a very large project about moving our manufacturing back to Sri Lanka because we always wanted it back in country. Yeah. So we've found a fantastic partner over there and we're currently working with them on moving two of the stages of manufacturing and then we're going to, by the end of this year, hopefully have all of our manufacturing, including the patented um, production method, done in Sri Lanka.
0: That's the goal. How wonderful. So that means that in a country that specialises in tea – you're teaching them a new way of, of doing tea, I guess, as well. I mean, is that how it works or does it is it because it's your IP, it'll only be in one factory?
1: So for now it'll only be in one factory. Although we're we're certainly working on some new products which will probably require some new manufacturing methods.
0: Oh, so. oh I love the way you got <laughs> girls think.
1: Yeah, so um always pushing boundaries or trying to. But yeah, I think, I think being able to look at our supply chain from an outsider's point of view and say, well, this is, this is really carbon intensive. This seems really risky. I know it's how, I know it's how most people do it, but is that right for our business? Um, really led us to a very different end result. And I think a lot of companies are going to be asking themselves that same thing with all of the supply chain disruption that we're seeing at the moment.
0: Fantastic. I love it that you're disrupting and I love it why you're disrupting. And if you can, if that means that you're going to make a positive change to these companies and they will start manufacturing at the source, then brilliant. So now I don't want to ask you a a leading question, but is there any element of elements that is Australian?
1: We originally looked at trying to manufacture in Australia. Um, Unfortunately, there wasn't the teabagging machinery here to do that manufacturing. Um, and as I said, Nicole and I are not engineers, so no. <laughs> doing our own manufacturing was never something that we were confident in. Um, we've, for a further product, um, we have looked at moving the manufacturing back to Australia. So if we launch that product, we we will probably be manufacturing awesome. here. And what
0: about your packaging and things like that? Was that designed here?
1: Um, so that was actually we've got a friend who's a designer who's in Ireland. <laughs>
0: Oh, great. I'm Irish. I love that. I was born, bred and married there.
1: Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Yes, it's a very global company.
0: (laughs) It is. I love it. And I love that it's coming out of Australia now. So um, I don't even know. I'll ask you this next question. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. And if there isn't anyone that springs to mind, that's fine. But because this is a show about women in business and you two women are so inspiring, it's interesting to me to know... Have there been women that have helped you along the way that you, um, you know, significantly that you would do, that you would sort of say, you know, they made a big difference?
1: I think in terms of inspiration, um, two of the women who I worked with at the AYCC, Gemma Boruka Karate and Millie Telford, I love following their journey because they just constantly inspire me. Gemma was the national director of the AYCC, and Millie is the national director of the Seed Indigenous Youth Climate Network. And they are absolutely fountains of ambition and innovation. And their vision for the world that they want to create is so strong and contagious that I love looking at them and thinking, okay, there's more I can do. What's my next step here? Um because being in business, it, it can be easy to focus on your profit margins and your yep. turnover and your, your turn rates. Um, and I think for our business, we always come back to our mission, which is to speed yep. the transition to a fair wage for all workers. And so seeing other women just absolutely fighting for the world that they want to see is always such an inspiration.
0: Oh, they sound like incredible women. So now I'm just going to get down into a little bit more of the nitty gritty of if you have a startup that goes ballistic like yours seems to have. What sort of hours have you? So, firstly, I should say, have you got any kids? Is this? I assume you're too young.
1: (laughs) I don't have any kids. I do have a new puppy. Oh, gorgeous! um, I'm just wondering about how you
0: juggle work and life. Do you? sort of work normal set hours or are you working every hour that God sends or something in the middle?
1: I think something in the middle. One of the biggest challenges for us, because we we grew so quickly in so many territories, is that there's only a few hours on Sunday where no one else is working.
0: Ah, oh, yes, of course. So,
1: we work across the US time zone, the UK, Europe, Sri Lanka, Australia, China. Um, yeah. So, it, it's managing um, having to to be responsive at most hours, which is the most challenging thing. But for me, I very early on in my career, since I've had quite intense jobs for most of my career, realized and passionate it was important. ones, ones that are yes. being driven
0: by passion. So I can see that it's hard to delineate between work and life in that sense. Anyway, but sorry, go on.
1: <laughs> it certainly can be. Um, But putting the things that you love and making those non-negotiables has been really helpful because burnout is not actually when you're working too much. They say that burnout is when you're working too much and you don't know why.
0: Ah, yes, that is actually a really good clarification of that because, yeah, I think if it's something that, I I mean, I offer, you know, and I'm interviewing a lot of women in this and a lot of them say I'd be doing it for free. Mm -hmm. And I think if you are doing something that you would do for free, then it, it, it is slightly different to, yeah, trying to do business, business, you know, coaching or leadership or whatever it might be where, You might need to delineate it a little bit more. Okay, so now I'm back down to the sort of the fun part of the interview. Is there a quirky fact that you would be prepared to share? You don't have to, (laughs) but is there something that most people don't know about you that's a bit different?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I tried to get my pilot's license when I was 17 years old. Um, I didn't succeed in it because I actually realized I get terribly airsick but it was really fun while I was doing it.
0: Do you know, it's so funny you should say that because my dad was the same. He always wanted to fly and I think it was for his 50th birthday or something that he got flying lessons and he did it to a certain extent and then he realised, I think that they, one of the things they do is put a blindfold on you and make you do it just with the instruments and it was that moment that he said, I actually get really sick. I'm not interested in doing this. Yeah, you have to do your IFR
1: training. Um, which... yeah but
0: very different to going on a plane I guess as as a passenger compared to actually driving it
1: exactly well, and one of your final tests is they stall the airplane on you and you have to get it out of the stall and I thought, Ooh. I am just going to get sick everywhere this is yeah, right. there's no way I'm <laughs> passing this thing. <laughs>
0: I love it that you gave it a go, though, and you probably got it to a certain stage so that you do know vaguely what's going on in planes now, whereas the rest of us have no idea.
1: Well, I at least learned the M flight alphabet, so that's good for when (laughs) you're on the telephone now.
0: (laughs) Ah, yes, that one that I always go M for Mickey Mouse, and they go, no, no, I don't think it's supposed to be like that.
1: (laughs) I like that better Um, than what it is, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the last little bit is just fun, and only because I'm obsessed with my own phone and my apps myself. Outside, I don't know, I mean, you a lot of women aren't um, phone app users. Other ones are. Are you a phone app user? Do you use- um... I definitely am. Oh, so, oh, great. Okay. So what would be your two favorite um, useful for business kind of apps on your phone?
1: Oh, well, absolutely LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, I Especially in lockdown, I have just loved connecting with so many incredible women on LinkedIn. We actually connected on LinkedIn.
0: We did. Yes. And, uh, and I was delighted. Then I got you on the show. And I, I 100% agree with you. LinkedIn, I don't know what's happened in the last, I feel like it's only been the last couple of years, and suddenly it's fantastic.
1: It's so great. And it's such a great um, network of supportive yeah. women. There are some women on there who I, I feel like I know personally, I've never met them because we're all stuck at home. But, you know, I, I feel like I'm part of this incredible network of women who are cheerleading for each other. And it's just phenomenal. Um, yeah. And I would say my other useful app is my calendar app. I don't do anything unless it's in my calendar. Yes.
0: I hadn't thought of that, but you're 100% right. Yep, yeah, I'm the same. And the other one would be banking, but then um, mm. I sort of, you know, I guess most people are doing that. Okay, and then do you use your phone for fun as well? Do you have any games or anything that you have on your, that you're addicted to on your phone?
1: So I... Actually, read books on my phone. I have an app called Overdrive, which is brilliant because you can put your library card number into it and you can download books from the library so they're you free yeah. yeah
0: and is it is it like national so all the books that are nationally on the national library, whatever, yeah. you can just download any of them
1: yeah, so if they're available um, in a digital version, you can just download them for free so I I mean, I consume books. I actually give myself a book budget each year so I don't spend too much time reading. Um, so having books on my phone and being able to just log on when I'm in the middle of um, you know, waiting for something uh and and being able to
0: read for those few minutes is really lovely for me. Yeah, I love it. And also the fact that it sinks across <clears throat> it sinks across other devices. So I can mm-hmm. read on my iPad when I'm at home, if I'm in a meeting and it's late. Or I'm sitting in the waiting room, mm-hmm. I might read as well. Mm-hmm. I'm exactly like you. I think I've got about two or 3,000 books in hard copy because I have this dream of one day having a library, you know, with floor-to-ceiling books. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> and then I moved on to the Kindle app on my iPad and I think I've got about 300 in there. And then mm-hmm. I stopped and went, just stop for a while. <laughs> but um, that's brilliant. Well, look, Julie, you are such an inspiration. This is just what a powerful story and I love what you're doing for fair trade and Organic as well. I mean, it's just very, very inspiring. So thank you so much for uh, joining me today. So if people want to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Oh, I would love to chat with anyone who wants to. Uh, LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me. Elements is also on social media at Elements Tea on Instagram and Facebook. And Do you guys
0: manage it yourselves, or are you? Oh yeah, if you send a message
1: out? on the elements page, it'll be me responding.
0: <laughs> That's good to know. That's brilliant. Okay, well, thank you so much again, and um, I'll look forward to seeing what everyone thinks when we when we uh, put this one out into public.
1: Thanks so much, Jules.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this. She's the boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet and for the smart TV or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to boss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode.